If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn to, either click to, turn to with me, Numbers, Psalm 95. So we've been in this series, Numbers chapter 11, and we're finishing this series up. And so Numbers chapter 11 is where we've been the last three weeks. We've entitled this message, The Wilderness, and what does the wilderness look like, and how do we know we're in the wilderness, and then how are we supposed to navigate the wilderness experiences of life. And so this morning, we're going to finish this series up just a little bit differently because we'd really like to mark this, the closing of this series together in a very special way. Uh, so Numbers chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 95, I don't know why, I guess because I've said numbers so much the last three weeks. Psalm 95 is a psalm that explains a wilderness experience and how the children of Israel were responding in Numbers chapter 11. So when you and I walk into a wilderness, it, it can sometimes mess up our spiritual equilibrium, right? And sometimes when we walk into a wilderness, all that we can focus on, the situations, the circumstances, the things that we have lost, the way things were, and we can walk into this desert experience, and oh, if you're not careful, you will never ever be able to have peace, or you won't be able to enter his rest and See, this was a problem with the children of Israel. And so it didn't matter what God did. It didn't matter how he was providing for them and protecting them. And his presence was with them. They didn't recognize it. So it didn't matter what God did. It didn't matter what Moses did. It didn't matter what God said. It didn't matter what Moses said. Regardless, the children of Israel were not going to acknowledge God. And they were not going to be thankful, and they are not going to be grateful. And so they wandered through this wilderness, never really experiencing peace, never really experiencing rest, are the things that God had for them. And so the danger, listen, I'm telling you, the danger of the wilderness, and we all have this, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a deacon, whether you're an elder, whether you're a life group leader, whether you're a church member, we all have this temptation, right? Whenever we step into the wilderness, if we're not careful, we will harden our hearts, and we will no longer be able to hear his voice. We will no longer be able to see his presence, his provisions, and some of those other things. So that's the danger. See, this was a danger of the children of Israel. They had come into the wilderness, and they had hardened their hearts to God, even though they could see the miracles and what he was doing for them, they did not recognize it. Now listen, I know this is like the first time I've ever done this in my ministry, but I think it would be fitting to try to just help you understand this in art. And so we're going to show you a painting. This is a, a painting that's going to come up on, on the side screen. So this is a famous painting. Uh, you may not recognize it as a famous painting. It is a famous painting. And so when the, when the artist who originally painted this painting uh, entitled this painting The Chess Players. Now listen, this, this piece of art hung uh, in, a, in a famous museum in Paris next to the, the Mona Lisa. And so just, just to guide you through this just real quickly, and we don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but Satan is the one in red. He has just taken the man's uh, queen, and so he's taken the man's queen. So you know this. The queen on the chessboard is the most powerful piece. He's taken the queen. And you know checkmate happens when your king no longer has a move. And so Satan looks pretty confident. He's taken the man's king. Uh, he's taken the man's queen. He's, and then you see next to him is the face of a roaring lion. How does Satan come? He comes like a roaring lion. And so then you see that. And then you see above Satan, you have on the left and the right, you have two, two demons that are, that are there. And then you look at the man. The man's in blue, in blue, and the man is obviously depressed and dejected. And all he can do is like scare, stare at the chessboard and stare at the pieces. Or maybe stare and realizing that he's just lost the most powerful piece that he has. 
And so he's depressed, he's dejected, he doesn't know what to do, he probably feels checkmate, he probably feels he doesn't have a move. And then you look above him and there's an angel. And it's interesting, when you look at the countenance of the angel versus the countenance of the man, the angel seems like she's in peace. And so we know this from the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament. The, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was always represented God himself, right? And sometimes the angel of the Lord was Jesus himself in the Old Testament. And so you have the angel of the Lord. And so, so he is, the angel is, is looking, more than likely looking at the king that the man has in his place. But he looks at peace. One of the ways that you and I know that we have entered the wilderness is we feel like it's checkmate. We feel like we do not have any other move. And we don't have any other, another move to make that we are trapped. It is like checkmate. It is like we are done. And as a result of that, if you are not careful and if I am not careful, we can harden our hearts. And we can be so focused on the chessboard of life, what we have lost rather than what we have, that we all of a sudden get to that place that we harden our hearts, we quit worshiping God, we quit being thankful, and we quit, quit being grateful. And as a result of that, in the wilderness, we can lose our peace. Now listen, the church has a role. The church has a role that we enter the wilderness, and this is what is so important to me. I, and, and so the church has a role, and the church is a place, three different things that the church should provide for you, especially when we walk through the wilderness. And it's just a thing that we just help each other remember. And the first thing is this. Church is a place where we become aware of the presence of God. Church is a place that when we come into worship and we step out of the wilderness, that we shouldn't harden our hearts. And that is a place to where we become aware of the presence of God. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has gone through, I mean, he's gone through a wilderness experience. He has, he has wrestled with God. He has struggled with God, right? And he struggles with God through the night. And at the next morning, Jacob makes this statement. And I think it's a statement about the church. I think it's the way church should be. And Jacob makes this statement. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And so we should be able to say that in the wilderness. We should be able to say that in church. The church is a place to where we know the presence of God is with us. Church is the place that sometimes that we can come in out of the wilderness. We could have a difficult week, go through difficult circumstances, go through those times where our spiritual equilibrium is like totally off center. And we come in and say, you know what? The presence of the Lord is surely in this place. And guess what? I, I didn't even know it. Listen, church is about the presence of God. Church is not about good music. Church is not about good preaching. Church is not about good community. Church is not about who you're going to see and who you're not. Church is about meeting with God. Church is a, the church is the only organization that stewards the presence of God. What sets us different than any other organization, and there are great organizations out there, Rotary Club, the Lions Club, and all these clubs, is this, that we have the presence of God. And that God is with us. And listen, I'm telling you, when you're walking through the circumstances and you're walking through the wilderness, you just need to be reminded, what? God is with me. Regardless of what the news says, regardless of what the culture says, what, regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in my family, regardless of what's going on in my life, guess what? God is with me, and he has promised me that he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Him being with me is not up to my circumstances. Him being with me is not up to my situations in life. And so we just pick this story up in, in, in Psalm chapter 95. And this is a psalm written about this experience, Numbers chapter 11, 
with the children of Israel and what they experienced. So we're just going to walk through this together. Psalm 95, verse 1. We'll just start. Come, let's. So that's plural. A lot of translation is let's, uh, let us. So it's plural. Community. We're together. Come, let's shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's. So he's talking about community. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in a song. The purpose, listen, the purpose of church is the presence of God. The purpose of worship is about the presence of God. It's not about style. It's not about type of music. It's not about the instruments. It's not the, the purpose of worship is to where we come before him. And oh, and guess what? We do this in community. Yes, there's private worship, and private worship prepares us for public worship, but we're talking about public worship. This is what, this is what concerns me in the days and times in which we live, where we've like all kind of entered the wilderness together, and there's a lot of people that are trying to, to steward the presence of God without the local church, without one another. Yet, when you see this scripture, you realize that we, we come into worship, we come into the presence of God in community. See, my sense of scripture, of scripture, when you just read it, there's private worship and there's corporate worship, but something happens special in corporate worship. When all of a sudden you start reminding each other that God is with us, or you're worshiping alongside of someone that is in the wilderness experience and they've experienced great pain and yet they're still able to worship. And you're aware of each other's testimonies and what's going on in life. The Bible tells us is crazy. That your worship and my worship can bless the heart of God. Do you realize you can bless his heart? The way that we worship and the style that we worship. And so we come and we worship. And, but he, he is the object of our gathering. And I don't know if you're like me, but I think it is good news when he says, let's shout joyfully to the Lord. That is for those of us who cannot sing. I mean, if you're like me, like worship is kind of hard for me because, I, yes, I can sing, but I do not have a voice that you should ever put a mic in front of it. I mean, fact is, it scares me to death when I forget to mute my mic and I'm down here singing. I'm like, holy cow, what if they forgot to mute me back there? I mean, I mean, I mean that would be like, you would hear a joyful noise. I, you would think, man, there is something going on in the front row. Uh, somebody is dying on the front row. It would be horrible. And so, but this is encouraging to me because you don't have to have a great voice. You just have to be able to make a noise. You just have to be able to, to, to shout with a joyful noise. And, and when you look at this, you realize that this has a lot of Old Testament meaning and imagery. That's the way the Jews came into worship at the temple. You can go to, you can go to the temple even today. And you can walk those steps. I've walked those steps uh, three times and going to do it again next year. And, it's, it, it, and so they would take, it's called the steps of ascent. And so the Jews would take the Psalms of ascent. And they would take the Psalms of ascent. And they would read them as they would come into the temple to worship. You know what the Psalms of ascent are? All it is is giving God thanks. All it is is being grateful. All it is is giving God thanks. You know the way that you and I come into the presence of God? It is being willing to give him thanks. It is being willing to tell him thank you. Even in difficult circumstances, even in great circumstances, God, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for what you're doing. In my, thank you for how you're providing for my family. See, we, here's what happened to the children of Israel. They got to the place that even God was like providing for them. They could no longer be grateful. They could no longer give thanks. You know the way that we come into the presence of God? Giving thanks. It's this issue of a grateful heart. 
Man, we live in a world, right? We live in a world that is like broken and uncertain, and it is getting uncertain. We used to say month by month. Now it's like minute by minute. And yet the one thing that is never going to change is what? What he was saying, the psalmist was saying, the rock of our salvation. It doesn't matter how this world changes. It doesn't matter how the circumstances change. That guess what? The one that never changed is Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That he is faithful and he will walk with us. And what the psalmist is saying, the reason that we worship him, the reason that we give thanks, is because he is the rock of our salvation. He forgave us. He gave us eternal life. And once he has done that, guess what? Nobody, nobody can take your salvation away from you. I don't care what other, you know, spiritual streams say or different denominations tell you. The scripture tells you this, that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take away your salvation. Once you're in his hand, what Jesus says, once you're in his hand, no man can what? Can pluck you out of his hand. And so when you look at this, you realize what the psalmist said, let's come. So that's community. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Because he inhabits the praises of his people. And there's something that happens when we just give thanks. So it's not, listen, the worship is not talking about style. It's talking about, attitu- it's talking about attitude of the heart. Being grateful and being thankful. Listen, if you cannot be thankful for what's happening today, you will never be thankful for tomorrow. If you cannot be grateful for what someone is doing for you today, you'll never be grateful for what they're doing the next day. There's something about this issue of giving thanks. We, got a, we have a granddaughter, and um, she's the most thankful little girl I've ever met. And when we give her a gift, I mean, she says she gets excited from her soul. I mean, you can give her paper clips, and this little girl goes nuts. And, and it makes me, as her grandfather, I just want to give her more. I just want to give her more. And I wonder if that's the heart of God sometimes. I wonder if the heart of God, when we look at these scriptures, there's something that happens that says you can bless the heart of God. How? By just being grateful. Just being, it, it blesses my heart when I give a gift to a granddaughter that doesn't turn up her nose and say, hey, it's not name brand or whatever, not what I wanted. But it doesn't matter what it is. She just gives thanks. And so we, we have joy. Because of what he is doing for us, has done for us. And as a result of that, we can enter into the presence. And and whenever you go through those times of life and you feel like checkmate, welcome to the wilderness. And you feel like you're trapped and you feel like you have no answer and you feel like you've been boxed into a corner and you don't know what you're going to do and all you can do is like focus on the chessboard of life, welcome to the wilderness. And maybe some of you here this morning, you say, you know what, in that painting, you know how I relate to? I relate to the chess player guy. I relate to the guy in blue. I relate to that guy to where all he could do is like focus on the chessboard and focus on the, the pieces. And I feel like I'm in that situation where I don't have another move. But you do have another move. And that move is you can bring a heart of praise. And you can find something to be grateful for. You can be, find something to be thankful for. And you may have to start off very basic. Fact is, we're going to see this in the psalm. Here's the second thing. A church is a place where we become aware of his protection. 
Isn't that true? When you're in the wilderness and when you've gone through tough times, you just need a church to be able to steward the presence of God and bring you into the presence of God and realize that, guess what? It may be difficult, but God is with me. But the second thing is you need to be aware that God, God is the one that protects. Look at this, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God. So now all of a sudden this guy's like reminding himself of some things. A great king above all gods. And, and so some translations would say a great king above all kings. Little K, big K, capital K, God. And then little K, uh, kings of the earth. We'll come back to that. The depths of the earth are in his hands. And the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. He, his hands formed the dry land. You know what this guy's doing? This guy's reminding him who God is. He says, you know what, my God my God is, is a great God. Oh, and he's above all the other kings. He's above all the other gods. And so, you know, in, the, in their time, in their time, the kings of their land were powerful. I mean, with a word, it, it happened. Whatever a king said in their time, it just happened. And they controlled everything. And so this man is reminding himself, oh, the king, earthly kings, earthly presidents, earthly governments may be powerful, but I know the one that's above them. I know the one that is more powerful. And he says, you know who that is? That, that, is like, that is like my God. And not only that, my God is the one that formed the mountains. My God is the one that formed the sea. Guess what? He made them. Have you ever had that experience in your life to where you've just come to the place and said, you know what? I understand who God is. And he's like the king over all the people. He's above all. And that is my God. And he's personal. And he's a great God. And it's a relationship that I've in." in entered into. He is a shepherd and he cares for me. He protects me. You ever had those moments? Uh, in fact, is I did. I, I was, so I was raised in Texas and so I'm a flatlander. And so um, I was one of the few Texans that had never been to Colorado till we planted this church. This is my first experience here. And so I'm one of the few you know, Texans that didn't make their way to Colorado. But I was, I grew up, when, I grew up in Houston, Texas and so I, as a kid, my sister thought that like the overpasses in, in Houston, those were mountains. That's what we thought mountains were. And so we came to Colorado and realized that's not a mountain, that's a, that's a highway. And so, but I remember the first time I ever saw Pikes Peak. And it was actually purple like the song. I thought that was just some musician's way of describing a mountain. And I still rem- I, I told Karen, I said, let's never get tired of that. Let's never get tired of seeing that. You ever had those moments where you looked at Pike's Peak and said, you know what? Man, that is so gorgeous. And oh, by the way, my God, my God, my God did that. You ever dr- driven through the mountains when the colors are changing? Man, last year we hit Kachara right when, I mean, it was perfect. We, up until then, 27 years. We were there a week too early or a week too late. But last year, we nailed it. And we were seeing the different colors, and we thought, you know what? My God did that. My God did that. You ever been out in nature, and you feel so close to God? And you know, some of it is because of that, because you see the handiwork of his hands. He says that he even formed the depths of the earth. The psalm says... The psalm says that, that the word of the Lord is so strong that he gave the boundaries to the ocean and say, you can go this far and no farther. You ever been in the wilderness and you've come into church and you're dry? You're dry. You hear a worship song 
You hear a scripture that's read. You talk to a friend that encourages you. You hear a sermon. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has made you aware that God is with you. That his presence is with you. That's what this guy's doing in this song. And he goes on, and in verse 6, he says, Come, let's worship and bow down. So now he's talking about you you, you got to change your posture. And that, 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 would, that would happen when the, when the Jews would enter the temple. And I've told you this story. The steps, all the steps were different heights and different uh, lengths. As a result of that, you would have to change your stride continually going into the temple. And so it was to remind them that you got to change some things. And so he's talking about you got to change your posture of worship when you go in. And you may have to change your posture of thinking to where all of a sudden you're aware of what God has done for you and you're aware of his, uh, the, his provisions and all of a sudden you become thankful. Let's kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. So now he's reminding himself who he is. The sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, and he's going to start a warning, we'll, we'll get back to that. But there's something that happens. And so, so it's not only something physically, but sometimes we have to change the posture of our heart. Sometimes we have to change the posture of our attitude. We have to come to the place to where, well, if we're honest, we tend to be some pretty self-centered people, right? I mean, we tend, when we go through the wilderness and we go through difficult times, we tend to be pretty self-centered. And, and, so, and we live in a community, we live in a culture that, that reemphasizes that and just reminds us over, it's all about you. The fact is, this, this last week, Monday, we'd gone through a really hard stretch of ministry with some families and some other things and, and uh, that it just some of the families have walked through in our church. And, and so Monday came, rolled around, and I hadn't had a day off in a long time, and I, I'm taking a day off. And so I wanted to play golf. I tried to get a tee time, and the place where I want to play golf is like doing a golf tournament. And so I couldn't get a tee time. And I'm like, I had one of those woe is me moments. You ever do that? You know, really, God, finally I take a day off, and I remind him how many days straight I've worked, and really, this is the things I get, and now I can't play golf. And so I decided, you know what, today's not going to be wasted. I need some sol silence and solitude. So I take my mountain bike, throw it in the back of the truck, get my backpack, my Bible, my journal, you know, some snacks, some other things. I drop in at, at, right before the res, you know, uh, Arkansas River Trail near the reservoir, the dam, rode all the way down to the kayak park. And so I'm at the kayak park, taking a break, I'm eating an apple and some other healthy snack. Oh, my wife's not here. Wasn't eating a healthy snack. <laughs> Hopefully she's not live streaming. And I'm sitting there drinking my water, eating my snacks. And two girls were down, and they're at the kayak park near the water, the gates. And, I mean, it's a beautiful day, blue skies, and there are geese and ducks. And, and I mean, the water and the colors. And you know what they're doing? They're taking selfies. <laughs> I don't know how many selfies they took. I don't even think they ever found one to post. I mean, literally through my entire snacks, it's this and that and this and that. And then they would look at it, and they would delete, 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 and talk about it and go on. Uh, I saw one statistic that said the average person takes over 100 pics before they find one, post, one picture to post. And so we look at the, we live in a nature, to, uh, in, a, in a culture to where it's pretty self-centered. And this guy's saying, who am I to stand before you, Lord? I mean, you're the one that formed the heavens and the mountains and the seas. Your hands formed the depths of this earth. And so corporately, 
corporately we submit to him. And then we remind each other that, 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 that we're his people. Uh, we're, we're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep under his care. I don't know if it aggravates you. It still aggravates me that God refers to us as sheep. Sheep are not bright animals. Sheep are dumb. Even I have to admit cats are smarter than sheep. <laughs> and we're reminded, you know, we're reminded that we're sheep because... Before a holy God, we can be so dumb that we chase after things that are short-lived. We chase after things that are temporal. We chase after things that are unhealthy for us. We wander, but he said, the sheep under his care, you know what he's talking about? The sheep that stay close to him. The sheep that just take you. Can I just tell you this morning, you are either worshiping the chessboard of life that will distort life for you, or you're worshiping the one that will not distort life. You have a choice, and I have a choice. And the problem with the wilderness, a lot of times we start worshiping the chessboard of life. And we have to come to that place where we acknowledge that God cares for us, God is with us in his presence and his provisions, and, and that even God, listen, even God can bring good out of bad and good out of the wilderness and good out of desert experiences. The third and the last thing is, is that church is a place where we become aware of his provisions. It's his presence, it's his protection, and it's his provisions. He protects, he provides, he blesses. He says, and he's promised that he will walk with us. Well, just verse 7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, as at Meribah on the day of Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me they tried me and look at this though they had seen what i had did what i did they knew i was blessing them they just didn't acknowledge it they were continually looking at other things they were continually so focused on the chessboard of life they couldn't focus on me and god is saying i've been provided them for them all the way through the wilderness in verse 10, he says, For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. And I said, There are people whose hearts have gone astray because that's what sheep do. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, They will not enter rest. And so now, listen, God gets really direct. And God is letting them know that, guess what? We can go through a wilderness experience and we can harden our hearts. And even though he's providing for us, and it's kind of obvious what he's doing, we don't even acknowledge it, that we can come to that place that we harden our hearts. And that's why he said today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Worship, real worship changes the way we think. Real worship changes our attitude. Real worship changes our heart. And so when you look at this, you realize a consequence for them and a consequence for us is that we can go through the wilderness and, and God is providing for us and God is blessing us and we never become thankful. We never become grateful. And as a result of that, we don't have peace. As a result of that, we don't have rest. Now, to close, I, I want to go back to the painting. So for a, a number of years, this painting was known as the chess player's. And after the artist's death and some time went by, for some reason, nobody knows why. You can read a lot of different stories of that. But they changed the, the name of this painting to Checkmate. And so just to remind you, and I'm, the Satan is in red. He's taken the man's queen, the most powerful piece. 
The man is focusing on the king or on, on his king. The angel looks like she has peace. And then many years later, after they changed the title, um, Checkmate, uh, they were given a tour there at this museum in Paris, and in the tour was a grandmaster chess player. And so the guide explained the Mona Lisa, which hung next to this painting. He moved to this painting. He explained the story behind Checkmate and said Satan basically had this man in Checkmate. This man's done. This man has no move. And so as the, the guide finish up, finished up explaining Checkmate, he was moving away. And all of a sudden, this grandmaster chess player looked at the guide and says, You know, I've been focused. I, I've been focused on that chessboard. He said, if you were to, like, take that chessboard, if you would set that up for me exactly like that, he said, I'd, I'd beat Satan. And the guide says, what do you mean? And the man looked at him and said, oh, obviously you don't understand chess. He said, the king has another move. The king has another move. He said, it is not checkmate. And it is not over. He said, this man, the king has another move. And now you understand the angel, why the angel's looking down at the king, and the angel seems to have peace and calm. Because this man had another move. And so as, as Pastor David comes out, we're just going to finish just a little bit differently this morning. And we're just going to mark this morning. Because, because a lot of times when you're in the wilderness, you can be like that man in the blue. And you can feel like checkmate. I no longer have a move. I don't have another move. I am trapped. It is over. However you want to phrase that. And you could be so focused to the chessboard of life that it's hard for you to move on. Remember the children of Israel. We've been going through Numbers chapter 11 together. Remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt and they, and, and they were slaves? And Pharaoh was abusing them and hurting them? They had to feel like checkmate. And yet the king had another move. And all of a sudden, after ten miracles, he like sets them free. And they start making their journey to the promised land. But the only problem was Pharaoh realized he had let all of his free labor go. And he told the Egyptian National Guard, go and get them back. And all of a sudden, they have the Red Sea in front of them. They got the Egyptian National Guard behind them, bearing down. They had to think, checkmate, it's over. God just called us out here to die to forget about us. But the king had another move. Remember what that move was? He split the Red Sea wide open. And the children of Israel went across the Red Sea on dry ground. They got to the other side. And the Egyptian National Guard started going through the dry ground and going to get them. And they had to feel like checkmate, see? But yet the king had another move and he closed up that place and swallowed up the Egyptian National Guard. Remember when they entered into the wilderness, they were wandering around and they didn't know which way to go and what decisions to be made. And they felt they were lost, but the king, the king had another move. And so he gave them a pillar of fire by night and he gave them a cloud by day to guide them. His presence was still with them. And his presence is still with you in the wilderness. And it may not be a pillar of fire by night and it may not be a cloud by day, but it is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the king has another move, even in the wilderness. Remember when they ran out of water. And you can't survive long. Only three days can you survive without water. And they ran out of water not once but twice. And they thought it was over, but the king had another move. 
One, he made the water that was bitter fresh. And one, he took water out of a rock. The king had another move. Remember when they ran out of food? And they thought they were just, God, did you just call us out here to die? Did you just lead us? That's one of the ways you and I know that we go through the wilderness. Did you just bring us out here? But the king, the king had another move. Remember that? He provided manna from heaven. Manna from heaven dropped down every day to give them everything they need. See, the king had another move. Remember the disciples? When they saw Jesus Christ crucified on a cross, even though Jesus said, you know, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to let you know the king has another move. And they, and Jesus Christ was crucified. And they forgot that. And they ran and they hid in fear. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again and stepped into the upper room and appeared other places and said, the king has another move. Even at the lowest point of the children of Israel. I mean, he referenced Meribah and Massa, the lowest point of their life. But the king had another move. There's some of you in this room that you can say that there was a time in your life, whether it was in a hospital, whether it was in a, a bedside, whether it was a relational issue, whether it was something with the economy or whatever, that you got to that place you felt like it was checkmate. But the king had another move. And that is part of your testimony. Even at the point of death, we may grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. Why? Because the king has another move. That those that have preceded us in death one day with the trumpet call are going to rise from the grave and we're going to be caught up together and we're going to meet together and forever we will be with the Lord. Maybe you're in the wilderness and maybe God brought you here to remind you of his presence, remind you of his protection, remind you of his provision.